have a seat. Have a seat. How was lunch? It was good, wasn't it? It was generous. I was like, these are generous servings. Well, um, session three and after lunch. So I'm not going to do all the work. You're going to do some of it, okay? (laughs) Partly to keep you awake um, after that beautiful meal. Uh, The session that I'm doing this afternoon, it's called A Fearless Faith for a Wounded World. Uh, And I want to encourage you to live out your faith fearlessly to start bringing healing to the world around about you because each one of us have so much more potential and ability to influence than we recognise and realise. And the borders and influence of our life can be so much more spacious than we ever dreamed, not because there's anything extraordinary about us, but because we have a very extraordinary God. So how do we continue to expand the borders of our life and influence rather than shrinking back into what's comfortable? How do we live for Christ in a world that wants to limit us and constrain us? How do we live with a fearless faith in a wounded world? And I've got three things that we're going to look at this afternoon. The first one is see the world. See the world around us is step one. Luke 4 verse 18 to 19 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You know, when we see something in the world that doesn't align with the design and purposes of God, we can be very confident that we're called to change and influence that. Because if there's something that exists in this world that God created that is not in alignment with the way God created it to be, then his agents, the women of God and the men of God on this planet, can be a part of restoring and redeeming that which is lost and broken into a place of redemption and wholeness and the way it was meant to be in the kingdom in the first place. So I've got some questions for you I want you to have a bit of a think about. What do you see in the world that really bugs you? What just ticks you off? What's the thing that keeps bugging you that sometimes people go, just let it go, like seriously? What's the thing that when you see it, there's just something in you, it's like, oh, it shouldn't be like that. Because I would suggest that God may well be calling you to do something about that. I would suggest that God's probably calling you to step forward and to step into that area. I call it um, divine discontent. Bill Hybels talks about it. He talks about it as your holy discontent. Because I'm, you know, I like alliteration. I'm a writer. I call it our divine discontent. Um, It's that thing that the Holy Spirit is stirring us to respond to. For me, um, divine discontent is all around the areas of truth and justice. So I hate seeing deception happen in the world. I hate seeing lies that are being propagated and no one correcting them. That just ticks me off. I, I hate the fact that people are lied to in our culture and there's not another countercultural voice that's bringing truth in those arenas. So for me, that's one of the things that's always bugged me. And so I got started um, on this journey, I guess, of engaging with the world and trying to help the world look more like the kingdom of God was designed to look like. Um, Seeking justice by just opening my eyes and seeing the world around me and seeing what was happening just in mainstream media. 
and just having a go. Sometimes you don't actually have to have all the answers to just start to have a go. And sometimes we can get a little bit intimidated by somebody else's, um, you know, chapter 10 of their life that we feel too scared to start on chapter 1. So don't ever let someone else's nearly finished journey stop you from starting your own. So um, the whole way that I was able to write in the career mail is really deceptively simple. Sometimes people would come to me over the last little while and they'd be like, oh, so how did you get into mainstream media? And, you know, they wanted some tips. And I was like, I don't have any tips because God just did something amazing. So they had their religious writer who was um, wrote an opinion piece for the Courier Mail and she wrote a piece that she said was about the church's view on women and sexuality and um, now I believe everyone's entitled to their opinion. We live in a free world so that means every voice has the opportunity to express itself. But the thing that really bugged me is that she said she was going to be biblical about it. So she took all these scripture verses and sort of twisted them and, you know, really slammed the church, I guess. And um, I just got really ticked because, remember, one of the things that really annoys me is when there's deception or truth isn't in the arena where it needs to be. So I wrote this big, long letter off to the editor of the Career Mail. And I was like, you know, you have to take some responsibility for publishing this. And, you know, it was misinformed. And, you know, she said the church's view on women and opportunity for women is like this. And yet at that stage I was 27. Um, you know, I'm a 27-year-old female and um, I'm a pastor and I can preach and I can serve communion. And, you know, we've got churches that have got young people in them. And you just never show our side of, you know, what we think about the church canon is in our world. And I think I said something like, and I think, you know, you could sell more newspapers if you showed both sides of the story because, you know, he's a commercial businessman, so you need to appeal to that as well. And um, so I got a call then a couple of weeks later from his PA and she said, could we set up a phone appointment for you to talk to the editor? And I was like, sure. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to say to this man. <laughs> I was happy to flag the problem. I didn't totally have a solution at that point, but I was just annoyed enough that I had to at least put some truth into that situation. So then about a week later, um, he called at the time that we were meant to have the phone appointment. I still had no idea what I was going to say to him. I'm like, surely I should have some fabulous solutions about how we can sell more papers by talking about our style of churches. And he um, rang me up and he said, Ruth, he said, look, you're right. And he said, I, we, I've always been really fascinated by your style of churches. But he said, unlike some of the more traditional churches, he said, you guys don't have a hierarchy where there's a head office somewhere where we can go and talk to the media representative and get your perspective on it. And I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, he said, yeah, I just can't quite get my head around your style of churches. You're right. You know, women are involved. There's young people. It seems like there's just a lot of growth and enthusiasm. And I was like, yep, yep. And I still didn't have any solutions to tell him. And he said, so why don't you start writing for us? And I was like, I picked myself up off the ground. And I was like, sure. Still having no idea what I was going to do. I was not a trained journalist. I was working as a pastor. I did okay at English at school, but, um, you know. And so he said, look, I'll put you in contact with the editor who looks after that part of the paper, who does the opinion pieces, and she can talk to you a little bit more about article length and all that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, sure, okay, no worries, just write lots of notes. And so then I spoke to the editor and she filled me in on how it all worked. And so she said, look, so just have a go, do your first one, and we'll see if it works or not. 
And I was like, okay, sure, no worries. And sometimes you just have to do things scared. Sometimes you don't have the end result already, but you just go, I'm just going to give it a go. And so I just gave it a go. And look, certainly my first article was not my finest, but it let me have the chance to do a second and a third and a fourth. And I ended up writing for them for eight years. And the only reason I stopped was because I went into politics. And of course, I couldn't write because then it would be reflecting on my boss. But so there was in the States paper articles from a Christian perspective speaking to a mainstream audience with my little byline was Ruth Limkin is a Brisbane pastor. And that's kind of a miracle when you think about the media landscape. And it meant that we, I got to bring, um, not always talking about Jesus says this, and I don't think I ever used the word sin, but I did talk about harm, harm to society, because again, I wasn't speaking to my church congregation, I was speaking to a state. And so um, that it was as simple as getting really annoyed about something and then acting on it. So what really annoys you? Because if there's something that really annoys you, somewhere in there, I think there's a little bit of a gem of something that God might be calling you to respond to. Now, as I said, I'm not doing all the work this afternoon. So I want you to take just a couple of moments and I want you to have a conversation with a couple of the people around you about something that really annoys you in the world. That's Now, you don't have to have the solutions, okay? <laughs> you don't have to have the answers yet. But I just want you to identify something that maybe it's been bugging you for years, maybe it's just been in the last few weeks, and I don't mean people leaving their socks on the floor at home, not that kind of thing, but in the world around you, what's something that really annoys you that may be perhaps the divine discontent that God's calling you to respond to? So just take a couple of minutes now and just have a chat to the person next to you. Conversation up. I know it can be dangerous to unleash women to talk about <laughs> the injustice in the world. So, but this is about starting some conversations. It's about starting some thinking. Um, but you'll have some work to do after today. So, living with a fearless faith. In a wounded world means that we see the world. It means we, we don't stay focused on our own little bubble, but we look at what's going on in the world around us and we stay alert to that and we stay alert to that little nudging of the Holy Spirit. What are those things that really bug us? Because that's part of the key of what God wants you to do to make this world a better place. So the second thing after seeing the world is staying focused. You know, I think the most significant part of our life and leadership, the key to it, is found in the book of wisdom, unsurprisingly, Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The New King James says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. That literally means the boundaries of your life. Staying focused on your heart and the condition of our heart has very big consequences because our heart might be just a small thing, but as we stay focused on keeping that healthy and whole, it has very big consequences for all of our life and outside of our own life. 
Because what we allow to linger in our heart will limit our heart. What we allow to linger in our heart will determine the limits of our life. I think, you know, I've alluded to it already this morning. One of the greatest limiters in our life is fear and intimidation. And so we have to keep diligent watch over our heart that we don't let fear and intimidation find a home. We don't want fear and intimidation to settle in and get comfortable in our heart. There will be situations where we walk through where fear will try and come against us. And it's not that we can never feel afraid, but we don't want fear to make its home in our heart. We need to guard our heart. See, you are called by Christ to make a difference. You're called by Christ to make the world more beautiful. You're called by Christ to make tomorrow better than today because you exist on this planet. And really powerful voices will try and stop you doing that. There will be the voices of the world around about us, but the most powerful voice is often that voice of our own fear. And that voice will do everything it can to make us shrink back. Interestingly, though, that voice of fear won't yell at us. It'll just whisper quietly. It'll dress itself up as being sensible. It'll just be in the back of our mind, quietly whispering day after day, who do you think you are? Why would anyone listen to you? You'll probably just look silly. You might make a mistake. You'll just embarrass yourself. Who do you think you are to make a difference? Fear can be secretive and it can be seductive. It'll dress itself up as being, as I said, the sensible option or wisdom sometimes, when instead all it is doing is limiting our life, limiting our heart, making us smaller, wreaking havoc with our confidence and causing us to retreat from the very mission that God has called us to be a part of, which is going out into all the world and reclaiming it for him. Fear stops us from being brave, confident women. And God needs brave, confident women to help heal a wounded world. And if we let our heart make fear at home, it keeps our heart small and we retreat. But the really good news is that fear doesn't have to have the final word. Let me tell you who you are, because while fear might say, who do you think you are? Let me tell you who you are. You are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he's planned for you long ago, Ephesians 2.10. Let that be the banner over your life. You are God's masterpiece. In the morning, before you've had your first cup of coffee, even if you don't feel like it, you're God's masterpiece. When you've messed up, when you've said something you wish you hadn't, you are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works he's planned for you to do long ago and any voice which actually contradicts that is not the voice of the father and we have to stop listening to any voice that's not the voice of the father fear doesn't get the final vote the father does and the father votes you in the father votes you strong the father votes you capable the father votes you confident so who are you you're someone who can stand for justice you're someone who loves the unlovely you're someone who can find the answers to the challenges plaguing your community. You're a leader. You're a decision maker. 
You're a carer. You're a mother. You're a sister. You're a friend. You're someone who feeds the poor. You're someone who cares for the next generation. You're someone who teaches the poor how to live so that they'll develop the skills so that they can not only look after themselves but break a generational cycle of poverty and help the next generation learn how to live. The lives that we're created to live are too big and too glorious and too significant to allow them to be limited by intimidation. The lives that our very wounded world needs you to live are too important to be contained by fear. So what's God calling you to do? What are the borders of your life that God's calling you to expand? And what are the things that are stopping you at the moment? Is it thoughts? Is it feelings? Is it something someone said? Is it a past failure? Now remember, I'm not doing all the work this afternoon. So I don't want you to disclose anything in this conversation that you don't feel comfortable disclosing. And if you would prefer to just take a few moments to write your own notes, that's fine. But again, there could well be something in a conversation that you have with someone right now who sparks an encouragement. They might say, look, the thing that's stopping me is I just have had a really bad experience when one other time when I tried to go and make a difference. And then another person in that circle could say, well, I've had that experience too, but this is how I overcame it. And as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. And there's incredible power in this room. There's incredible experience. There's an uh, incredible wealth of faith. So my question for you to discuss with a few people, what stops you from doing something about the things that bugs you and how can you encourage each other to overcome that? Women of wonderful power, discuss. I was just saying, part of me just wants to basically just let you all keep talking and solve all the problems of the world because I think there's a lot getting done in these conversations. I kind of wish you could all be me right here and just see, you can see conversations and lights coming on and it's God is doing stuff. So above all else, guard your heart. Whatever it is that's stopping you from taking that step to do something about what you see in the world that you know God's calling you to do, do something about making sure your heart is um, guarded from the things that shouldn't be in there. So having that fearless faith for the wound, wounded world, it's seeing the world, it's staying focused on our heart. And the third one is step forward. So I actually think, ironically, one of the greatest challenges as women of faith in living in Australia in 2016 um, is that one of the things that makes it hard for us is that we have great churches and great civic infrastructure and institutions because we can actually sit back and let great churches tell people that Jesus loves them and that he came and that he died for them. We can actually sit back and let great charities and great, fairly great government departments take care of the poor, take care of children, take care of education. We can let local governments run community welfare and we can get lulled into this sense that it's somebody else's job to respond to and alleviate suffering, whether it's the church, whether it's the government, but it's actually really hard for us sometimes to realise that it's not somebody else's job. It's my job. It's your job. 
because you're the hands and Christ of feet in this world. Love doesn't outsource a response to suffering. Love owns it. And when we learn to love our world and our community, we realise that when there's pain and suffering, that I'm a part of the solution. It's not somebody else's job. So this is about positioning our hands to actually do something, to step forward into a situation and to respond. Um, and sometimes it can be fairly simple. So in January 2012, I was reading the newspaper, See the World, Stay Engaged with What's Going On. Um, a very famous preacher who I've just forgotten always said, so from the 1800s, he said, every preacher should have the word of God in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And he said, you need to speak the eternal, timeless truth of God's word to what's going on in the world around about you. And uh, so anyway, I was reading this article and it talked about, uh, now I'm not sure if you've got typo stationery stores in this region or you know who they are, yeah. So they have stationery and they were having a back to school sale. But there was this news article about how they were selling pornography themed stationery during their back to school sale. And I was like... And they had um, travel mugs that said, porn is my saviour. And they had iPhone cases that said, porn is my saviour. They had A4 notebooks, which had a naked woman on the front with the headline, Dirty, and the subtitle, Entertainment for Men. Now, apart from the fact that this would be illegal to have in a workplace because it's sexual harassment... Um, it's completely inappropriate to communicate the idea that women are dirty in entertainment for men. And it's infinitely more inappropriate to have this as part of a back-to-school sale. Um, so I thought, well, I'll go and actually visit a store because it almost seemed like a little bit of a media beat-up. I'm like, don't believe everything you read in the Courier Mail. Um, so, yes, I was writing for them at the time. So I went and had a look and sure enough, there they were. They were all kind of there in the front of the store. And... I went over to the retail assistant. I was like, could I talk to your manager? And he, she was like, oh, okay, yeah. So she went and got the manager. And he came over and I said, I, I just would like to complain about this material. I just think it's really inappropriate. And he couldn't have been more dismissive if he had gone to a how to be the most dismissive retail manager course. And he just was completely shutting me down with all the well, if you're offended by it, you don't have to buy it. And I'm like, that's not the point. Um, you're selling this to children. And he's like, people are buying it though. And I just, I got so frustrated because I was just, I didn't have good words to say to him in the moment. And I was just like, I can't believe you don't understand why this is such an issue. And he just completely shut me down. So I, was, I left and I was like, well, that was a failure. And uh, I got home and I was like, I've got to do something. This is so not right. And so I rang my editor at the time and I was like, can I write an article about this? And she said, look, I'd love to, but we're full this week and so I wouldn't be able to publish anything till next week. And I was like, oh, okay. And I know from, you know, media cycles, if you want some reaction or response, you need to be able to respond at the time. And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I was like, Father, what, what do we do? This is so wrong. And I had been collecting all my articles on a writer's blog called Bread and Justice and so I, sometimes when I, there wasn't space to put something in the Courier Mail, I would just publish it onto there. And part of what I was doing was helping Christians um, learn how to think and communicate from a Christian perspective but to what we see going on in the world. And so I was like, am 
might write some I might write a blog post about this. And so I ended up writing a letter to the eight-year-old girl that I had seen in the store when I went in there and she was right there and I'll read it to you. So it was called, Dear Eight-Year-Old Girl, I Saw You in Typo. Dear Eight-Year-Old Girl, I saw you three days ago but never got to meet you. We were both in Typo. I was there to talk to the store manager. I imagine you were there to buy stationery. After all, Typo had been advertising a back-to-school range. I ended up pointing you out to the store manager. You see, he was trying to defend the pornographic notebooks that Typo are currently selling. I'm sure you saw them. They were exactly at your eye height and being A4 size, the photo of the naked woman emblazoned with dirty really stood out. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that I couldn't get through to the store manager why it was so inappropriate to label women dirty. I'm so sorry that you live in a world where calling women entertainment for men is defended by retailers. I'm really sorry that you probably saw that notebook. And so, dearest eight-year-old girl, here are a few things I want you to know. You don't ever have to let someone make you feel worthless or dirty or trivialised because you're a female. You should never be defined as entertainment for men. You're a person of substance, purpose and significance. You don't have to feel that your body is dirty. Your body is a beautiful, complex creation. You should never, ever be sexually exploited for profit. I hope that you'll meet men who will respect you and speak out against oppression. Lastly, one day you'll get a job. And if you ever see anything like the front of that notebook cover in your workplace, it's called sexual harassment. Speak out. Kind regards, Ruth. P.S. It's not all bad. There are so many wonderful men and women willing to speak out against the objectification of women. One day you'll be really glad to know the world is full of amazing people like them. So I published that on my blog about 5pm one night and shared the link on Facebook so people could see it. And then about an hour later, I'd noticed quite a few other people were sharing it on Facebook and I was like, oh, that's interesting, that's good, yeah. Listen to that typo, other people think the same thing as well. And um, then I noticed people were, it, it was getting quite a bit of traffic to the blog. By the next morning, 14,000 people had read it. And then within two and a half days, nearly 40,000 people had read the blog and started sharing it. And I started getting comments and getting contacted from people all over Australia, feminists, business people, advertising copywriters. And at the bottom of the blog, I had just done a link to the feedback section for Typo and encouraged people to contact Typo if they also felt <laughs> that something should be done about it. By the end of that week, the national marketing manager of Typo confirmed with me that they were withdrawing all of those items for sale. So I asked for, yes... I asked for and received a written inventory of what product lines they were removing and was given written confirmation that Typo would never restock those products again. It's just, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the amazing thing is, is that was fairly simple. Okay, I got completely embarrassed when I went into the shop and I tried to talk to the guy and he shut me down. But there was still something else I could do and it was just a blog, a free blog that I hosted and I wrote something. Now, you know, there's a gifting that God has, it appears, given me for writing, but God's given you a gifting as well. And whatever that is, there will be a way that you can use that to do something about whatever drives you crazy. 
and that divine discontent. The really, really great thing is um, a few days into this, so as I said, it was about two and a half days and 40,000 people had read it. So about two days in, I went back in just to see what if anything had changed at the store and the, the manager wasn't there, which was good. But um, I saw this young 16-year-old guy and he was working in retail. And I just said to him, oh, because um, I noticed I couldn't see as many of the notebooks around. I said, oh, have some of those notebooks been moved or something? He said, oh, um, yeah, were you looking for them? I said, oh, I just wrote something um, on my blog and about it and how I didn't like it. And he said, did you write the letter to the girl? <laughs> I said, yes, I did. And he said, I agree. I moved the notebooks down the back and put them on the bottom shelf and turned them around so no one could see them. <laughs> Now, just think for a moment. This is a 16-year-old retail assistant in a pretty vulnerable position because his manager, who I know was not full of sunshine and light, may have given him quite a hard time. But just because I stepped out and just because I responded to that divine discontent and did something and didn't let fear limit me and just did something that was in my hands to do, it made someone else be brave and they started making the world a better place as well. And the only reason I know that is because I was a sticky beak enough to go and try and see if something had happened. But that young guy would have done that regardless of whether I knew he'd done it or not. So you will never know the flow-on effect of the brave things that you do to make the world a better place because you are not just you. You are someone who, as you start to change the world, other people will follow your example and you may not find out what they do, but you will inspire them. I'm trying to work out if I'm going to tell you about this one other letter, if I've got time. Okay, I'm going to do it really quickly. <laughs> it was an interesting season of writing letters for me that couple of months because <laughs> about six weeks after the typo letter, I came across um, another media report that talked about Telstra selling adult-oriented iPhone, uh, big pond smartphone content, so videos that would play on smartphones. And the um, big pond Telstra webpage promoted these videos as ladies for viewing pleasure, including ladies straight from Tokyo. But the at the same time as hosting this big pond video website where they were selling these videos, they also had the Women at Telstra page, which was all about promoting women in the workforce and gender diversity and creating, you know, real opportunities for women to advance in the workplace. And these two activities completely contradicted themselves. On the Women at Telstra page, there was a short video of the CEO, David Foday, and he was talking about his heart to see women really succeed in the workplace and have opportunity, and he seemed really, really genuine. And um, so I thought going to write to him and just say, look, there's a bit of a mismatch between what you're doing. So I, I had a friend who worked for Telstra and I said, how would I get in contact with the CEO? And I just happened to have his email address provided to me. Um, <laughs> so I wrote a letter off and it was a very respectful letter. And I just said, look, I saw this video of you on this Women at Telstra page and you seem really incredibly authentic. And you talk about these values of Telstra. But yet on the other hand, you're selling these videos that reduce women to viewing objects and 
it just doesn't seem to match. There's a mismatch there. And so I emailed that off and um, the next morning had an email back from him. And he said, um, oh, that was the other thing. On that same website, so you clicked on all these different icons to go to all this different kind of content and there was um, a children's video portal. So you could click on Run Diego Run and two icons away was the Playboy icon, which is a cartoon rabbit. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's inappropriate having children either click on that cartoon to go and see their cartoons or, um, you know, two away there's the bunny that will take you through to other stuff. So he got back to me the next morning and he, uh, he totally agreed about the Playboy icon and he said that's actually been removed now from the website so children can't access that. And he said, um, we're going to do a review of the content that we sell through that website. So I wrote back and I said, look, thank you so much for, one, responding, <laughs> two, for responding so positively about the Playboy content and the fact that children could mistakenly click on that. And I just really appreciate it. And I said, do you mind if I just let some people know that you've made this good decision about the Playboy stuff? And he said, no, that's okay. Um, and I asked if I could put something on my blog. So I just put a little article about, you know, how we should congratulate people when they make good decisions in their business. And... Um, so then about six weeks later, a different friend who worked for El Telstra forwarded me their staff newsletter and he said, I think you might be interested to read this. And the comments were from the Telstra CEO and he said, recently I received emails from customers about content promoted on our Big Pond website. Those customers thought we shouldn't promote adult-oriented movies or videos that objectify women. I have to agree. We've therefore decided we will no longer promote access to adult-oriented content through our websites. Let me put this decision in context. The content accessible via Big Pond is mild compared to what's available on the internet. None of it had an R rating and in fact I'm assured you could find more explicit content at your local DVD shop or elsewhere in cyberspace. However, this is not the real issue. Why then have we made this decision? The simple answer is that promoting content such as this is just not the Telstra thing to do and we cannot support anything that is sexist or inconsistent with our values. He went on and talked about it and I have to admit I cried when I got that email and I cried because I've listened to enough people, I've done enough research, I know enough about the destruction of porn on relationships and on marriages and on young people and the fact that a corporate leader in our nation made a decision that would cost them commercially but in order to be consistent with the values that they had identified that was such an encouragement that just little things can make a big difference so I emailed him back I was like thank you so much I said do you mind if I share some of our interactions on um, my blog again and he said no that's fine I always asked because it had been private correspondence so I just wrote an article and encourage people to contact them and say thank you because we can be really quick to point out when people are doing something wrong but we're not always as quick to say thank you when they do the right thing and um, so there was a link there you know here's where you can say thank you to Telstra and you know over the next few days a few of their executive team were just saying Ruth we can't believe the amount of feedback that we're getting from people who are saying thank you for this decision. And that's so encouraging for them because, you know, they have to go to their shareholders and say, we're taking away a profitable line because we're making a stand for values. 
But the most interesting thing is what he ended up saying to me. He said, Ruth, I want to thank you for raising this with me. He said, it's something I'd felt uncomfortable about for some time, but hadn't known what to do. And sometimes there's someone in a position of leadership that needs you to speak up so they can act. And sometimes we need to give them the excuse, the trigger, the reason to do what probably deep down they know needs to be done, but they need an external influence. So what's God calling you to do? What's stopping you from doing it? Just step forward and have a go. Because you have no idea how any of the girls least likely who are sitting in this room can make a difference, not just for themselves, but for those around about them. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. You know, as we step forward... Stepping forward is not being proud. Humility is not shrinking back. Stepping forward is forgetting about our own insecurity long enough to step forward for the sake of others. And so I would like to encourage you, continue the conversations that you've been having even this afternoon. What is God calling you to do? What's stopping you? And what can you just step forward and start doing and be an encouragement to one another? Because we need each other on this journey because life does get tough sometimes. But there's a toughness in the women around us that we can draw on. So I'm going to wrap up and pray for you in a second. I'm going to encourage you to live with a fearless faith in a wounded world to encourage you to see the world around you, to stay focused on your heart and keeping it healthy and whole and to step forward into the things that the Holy Spirit is whispering you, enticing you, encouraging you, inviting you to be part of this great adventure of changing the world bit by bit, person by person into what God has designed it to be. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we're never on our own trying to make the world a better place, but we actually get to join in with you. We're following your slipstream of adventure as you have such a heart and a love and a joy as you look across this planet, as you look across this state, as you look across this region. And you see not just nations, but you see our neighbours and you see what needs to happen to make life better for those who are lost and far from you. And Father, we may be trembling, put our hand up to say, you can use us. We put our hand up, maybe trembling to say, I don't quite know how, but I'm willing to go on this journey with you to make this world more beautiful, to make this world more courageous, to make this world more just, to make this world more truth-filled. Father, I pray for each and every woman that's here. Lord, I pray our protection as they travel back to to homes and to home churches. And Father, I pray this week you will not let up, that you will continue to encourage them, you'll continue to whisper your love to them. 
You'll continue to whisper purpose to them. You'll continue to encourage them to to just step forward, to just start to think about, well, what could I do? And that they will walk confidently into the future and purposes of God for their lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michelle.